Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Clint Jackson. Clint currently serves as the CFO of a high-growth software-as-a-service company, BombBomb. BombBomb allows its customers to send, record, and track video messages. Before BombBomb, Clint was a U.S.-based controller for the SAS Group, a multinational publicly traded corporation based out of Italy. In this position, he provided financial oversight to a number of subsidiaries within the group. He holds an MBA from the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, and is a certified management accountant. Hello, Clint, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Megan. appreciate you having me. Yeah, today we're going to be discussing the budgeting process and how to get the most out of it. Clint works for an SMB software as a service organization, and we'll hear more about that in a few minutes. And so much of his advice will center around that, but setting a budget is critical for any company, large or small, particularly in a world that's changing so quickly and unpredictably, even though that makes the process more difficult. And I'm really looking forward to this discussion, Clint. So let's get started. All right. Sounds great. First, tell me about your career progression and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. You know, I graduated in 2008 as a finance major. And needless to say, there was not a lot of jobs available in this field at the time. I fortunately had nearly a double major in accounting. So I was able to shift my focus to accounting out of college so right out of college, I took a job as an entry-level accountant with a small company that was the subsidiary of a larger publicly traded multinational company. The company was called the, the Sace Group, based out of Italy, traded on the Milan Stock Exchange. I was at that company for nearly 10 years. I should also mention it was a high-tech manufacturing company. So at this job, I was fortunate enough to work under a mentor for five years, who was then the North American controller of that group. I always worked long hours for the most part of my career, working side hustles for a startup, building financial models, getting my MBA on the nights and weekends, or just working hard in my day job. Not to mention also building a family in the meantime, having a couple of kids. But early on at this job, I got a lot of attention being known as the tech whiz kid in the accounting department who could automate, streamline much of the accounting and reporting work. And to be honest, I did this primarily because I was lazy and I just didn't like the repetitive accounting work that I was being tasked with. But I also wanted the recognition and growth as well. So eventually, about five years into that career, mentor retired. I was essentially given his job and I did that for another four to five years. I was exposed to a lot of really interesting, challenging work that comes with working for a multinational and did well with it. And then a few years ago, I had the opportunity to move over to BombBomb. So it was a software industry switch with a good company, someone I've always wanted to do, loving technology. So BombBomb is where I'm at currently today. I currently serve as CFO. I came on initially as a director of accounting and finance underneath the part-time CFO at the time and gradually phased into the full-time CFO as they were ready now for that full-time position. I have to say switching industries can be tough. It takes time. Um, To be honest, it probably took me about a year to really develop 
the gut, because I like to say it for the numbers of a SaaS business model uh, versus the manufacturing type model that I've been used to early on in my career. Yeah, it can be tough switching industries. I know from experience that it takes at least a year. So, yeah. So, are there any particular stories or moves that stand out in your mind as turning points in your career? Yeah, sure. I first thing, I think one important thing is I didn't move around much. And this is something I believe in quite a bit. I give this as advice often to younger professionals. I tell them to stick around for a while, to build momentum, put down deep roots. I was at my first company for nearly 10 years, and I'm a young guy. As a millennial, this is unusual. <laughs> so, you know, building trust, deep competencies, and getting recognition for those things, it just it takes time. So I, I think one unique thing about my story and my career is to stick around and build those things. I always tell people to stick around for at least three years if you're going to jump into a role and don't expect to see really fruit before those three years. The second, I would say uh, mentorship. Mentorship is huge. So I've got two examples there. Everyone just does better with the mentorship role, especially early on in your career. First, I had an internship in college where I worked for a good company, good team, good people. And early on, I was able to lock in on exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a CFO because I saw that CFO working in college. And I said, that's me. That's my skill set. That's who I want to be. So that was big. And then second, working underneath that North American controller for five years just set me up for success at an early age. It was a good combo. He was on the last five years of his career, willing to give me anything and everything. I was hungry for growth. It was a good five-year incubator for me to really grow. So always give people advice to find that mentor. Yeah, definitely. And just out of curiosity, and I think about this sometimes, how would you recommend in a remote model? Uh, like how, how should one go about finding a mentor and building that relationship when you're not in an office together? Any advice for that? Yeah, that's interesting. The first is I, I would say don't work at a company that doesn't find that important. I think at BombBomb, we find that very important. We have mentorship programs where we cycle out mentor mentees with all of our senior leaders. And then also I provide that to all my direct reports uh, consistently. So I think number one, be careful about that with a company. Don't get into one that's not going to find that important. And then, you know, number two, I also have a, a mentor that I stay in touch with uh, remotely and I've always done it remotely. So, you know, it's, it can be done. I, I don't, I don't see that as a particular challenge. It should be able to uh, work just as well. Yeah, that's true. And I'm not sure if I cut you off from finishing an answer for um, story. No, you're good. That was about that. So tell us about BombBomb. What, what is it exactly that they do? Sure. So yeah, BombBomb, as you mentioned, is a SaaS company. Our product allows customers to record, send, and track video messages. Our customers are primarily businesses using our product in their sales funnel to improve communication, which leads to better conversion, deal size, onboarding retention. You got it. So we also see our customers using us for high value customer engagement, as well as internal communication as well. It's been around since 2007. So it's a fairly old company as far as SaaS companies go. 
we've grown very capital efficient. We haven't we haven't been one to raise a ton of capital. And we are about 160 employees today. We're growing uh, at a good rate, seeing success. We're fortunately in a very strong part of the market, right? Video software is, is very favored in this COVID environment. Yep. So how do you think the accounting profession specifically has evolved over the last 10 to 15 years? Sure, yeah. It's been a very consistent and stable move towards continued automation and systemization. You know, at the time, it felt very slow. I, mean, I remember early in my career just banging my head against the desk at some of the processes we had to you know, submit to. But you know, looking back, it, it's been consistent consistent progress. So I think the most recent example, we just are now killing paper checks. And it's it's silly. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say we still are using paper checks, but it took COVID to get us to finally say no more of that. I don't want to come into the office anymore. Yeah, I think COVID was a blessing for the move towards, uh, you know, moving towards digital transformation. Yeah, absolutely. So in your experience, how do SaaS organizations get their budgeting process wrong? You know, I think I have a pretty strong opinion here that a good budget does not wait until the budget season to do all the key activities. So let me, let me tell you what I mean there. At BombBomb, we meet daily to discuss all of our key numbers as a leadership team for our morning standup. These are the key numbers that get us to where we want to go. Because of this, we walk into the budget planning cycle knowing what the key drivers, KPIs are, how they're trending, how it affects revenue. That makes for a solid foundation to start your budget on. So I think a lot of budgets fail because behind them, there's a disjointed leadership team and strategy that makes the budget process difficult. Yeah, I think a lot of organizations are still very siloed in the way they operate. Yeah, absolutely. So what are the steps that you take for setting the revenue portion of a budget? Sure. A quick note, I, I break my budget process out into four key processes. First is setting the revenue. Second is setting capital allocation targets after you know what your revenue is. Then you build out the expense plan. And the last step is all the consolidation, iteration, and reporting. And it's been something that I've changed every year at BombBomb, just getting better at that. And I, I see the things that work and don't work. So first, putting together the revenue forecast. So it's important to build two revenue forecasts. I like to build a, what I call the base plan and the stretch plan. The base plan is what your budget is. This is what you're giving to your board, your investors, uh, your lender. It's also what you're hiring based on. It's your cash flow. You need to have a pretty good confidence, 80 90% sure you're going to hit this number. We also do the stretch plan because that's what's going to ultimately drive the short-term incentive plan for our leadership team. It's going to represent our goals for the year as a team. It's also going to represent where a lot of the ROI that we're expecting is going to show up that we're investing in. Another key item to note, you need to keep an eye on the three-year plan. So as you build out both of these plans, you need to have a, a three-year look that carries on, one, all the assumptions you're basing the next year model on, but also two, any investments that you're, you're throwing in there. I think this is very, very important. Always keep an eye on your three-year horizon. So I run a hybrid budget. So what that means is finance puts together the place to start. 
and then we get the, the feedback and revisions from the department leaders. I, I found this as efficient and effective in our size company, considering that those departments are not large enough to carry out a lot of the, to carry a lot of the staff to put together a budget like this to make sure that it's all streamlined and working and accurate. So some of the steps to really drill down to step one, step two. Mm -hmm. So one is I always keep a rolling forecast. I update it monthly. These are all our key assumptions, always with a three-year look. So I peel off a fresh copy of that, clean it up, re-question all the assumptions, lead forecast, conversion, deal size, retention, all those types of drivers. I send that draft revenue and top of the funnel opportunities to our CMO to get comments and revisions, set up meetings um, to walk through it, talk through it with the CMO, get his input. Then I pass that along to sales now that we have the opportunities and ask same process, meetings, input, final numbers, what, what can sales do from a deal size, revenue per lead, conversion, all these things. And then once that's all put together and then it's putting back together the CMO and sales leader to go through them again, go through the assumptions, go through the funnel. Here's what we can do. Are we missing anything? Then I focus on uh, retention too. I, I send it to our head of support and go through all the retention assumptions that I think are appropriate based on what we've been seeing uh, over the trailing 12 months. Typically we talk about expansion, talk about cohorts, and build out a, you know, a retention forecast on our existing customers. So that about sums up that plan. It almost always comes back too small, <laughs> you know? So it comes back of too small, send it back, and then you kind of start back at the top again and you know, sharpen your pencil and think about what you could be missing or sandbagging and, and deliver it back again. Okay, so that takes care of step one. Walk us through the next three steps, starting with allocating investments. So allocating investments, it's a really fun question. This is where I really geek out. It's, it's part of the fun work in finance here. So allocating investments is about setting the right financial targets. It's what I refer to as our allocation strategy. Once you know this, then you know approximately what you have to work with and where you need to focus. The rest is just details. So this is kind of the sketching phase of the budget. So my first step here is I gather input from all of, all of our stakeholders. This is the leaders, CEO, president, et cetera, our investors, both current and future. So I've got a pipeline of, of investors that, you know, should we need that capital? I'm asking them what they're looking for, for a good investment, ideally. Uh, third, probably lenders. I'm talking with, I've got our debt confidence that I need to hold accountable and talking with them regularly. Also peers, how do we stack up against our peers? Are we a bottom shelf company? Are we a top shelf company? Where do we compare? And then also internal requirements. What are, what are our constraints? What areas of focus am I hearing as the CFO that I need to make sure that are represented in this budget? And then kind of think of it like a, a Venn diagram. You put all those voices together on a sheet of paper and it's amazing right away. Something always shows up as the right path and it just reveals itself. And what reveals itself looks like profit, cash flow, CAC ratios, liquidity ratios, gross margin. What are our must-have investments? Where do we need to focus? What segments are we harvesting? 
cash flow, what are we investing in? So it all comes together. So once that's all formed on inputs, I then start to sketch out where the departments, where we're putting the capital. So we're, I'm putting in an individual departments and, and making sure it fits in the overall key objectives of the overall plan. So every department fits in our overall narrative. So for example, sales and marketing has to fit certain CAC ratios based on our revenue forecast, current and three-year. Support needs to hold to certain gross margins. R&D has to be supported by customers that we expect in the next three years and products we expect to sell them. Once you put all this together and fits in our overall goals, as well as strategy, you now have the sketch of what the budget needs to be. Now, pending approval before I give that information out to the leaders, I can just ask them to, to fill in the color detail, right? Now they know what they have to work with and they can, they can start to set plans on how they're gonna execute all the details to get to where they need to go. So before I do give it to the departments, I get the approval from my CEO on here are my key targets that I'm identifying. Here's the allocation between departments that I'm thinking, here's how it all comes together. Are you in agreement? Then I send that to department leaders saying, hey, you have approximately X dollars. Here's the logic of that. Make sure they're on the same page. Go ahead, fill in the details. And they take it from there with staff, whatever other expenses that they've got going on. So that's about that stage. So now we're ready. And then for the next stage, which is filling in those expenses, which I allow a pretty good amount of freedom just once they're given their swim lanes and kind of approximate totals, department leaders can really color in all the details, send that back. I can check it, give feedback and lock it up there on the expense side. And then the fourth step. Yeah. The fourth step is about putting it all together, making sure it all fits, making sure we didn't miss anything, checking it for errors checking in against you know, prior 12 months, trends, and putting it all together in a nice reportable framework that we can then give to leaders and to the board for approval and input. That typically has some iteration as well. You know, you're almost always gonna miss some dollars here and there or something comes out above or below. So that requires some iteration of, you know, something came up, we need, we need a million dollars here. Where are we gonna pull it from? And we go back to that department, those department leaders that are tied to that and communicate that. And we make a tweak, send it back. So that is the overall process, one through four. And your process sounds extremely collaborative. So what advice would you give for companies who maybe are still operating in more of siloed organization? How, how would you start breaking down some of those barriers? Yeah, I would go back to my prior comment on just make sure you're building the right leadership team, the right communication process between that team. So when you get to budget season, that department leader, they know what their KPIs are. They know how it relates to the overall business. They know what those trends are. They know where the focus is. So everyone's on the same page. So these questions should be known, well known before you kick off the budget process. And then it's easy communicating, you know, easy. That's, that's the goal. It's all the work behind it before it. 
And maybe you've touched on this a bit in your uh, point about meeting on a daily basis, but how often do you think a budget should be revised? Yeah, this is a unique thing at a smaller company that, especially in software, high growth, it requires a lot of changes. It can be exhausting. It's a lot of work. Sounds never ending. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it is. It's a competency that you just must have in a CFO seat in this type of company is how to constantly run a rolling three-year, one-year forecast budget. You just have to be able to do that quick. So to answer your question, really depends on the company. But I would say for us, it's more often quarterly than it is annual. So what we what we do at BombBomb is we meet as a leadership team on a quarterly basis for two days to go over a lot of things, one of those being the budget. So we go over the strategic stuff where we're focusing, and then that leads to the budget. Is there anything we need to change? So some years we change every quarter. Some years we don't change, and we just keep it to the annual plan because it stays pretty pretty consistent. So anywhere from quarterly on the shortest time frame to obviously annual as a minimum. And you mentioned that your budget has a three-year outlook. Why three years? Why not one or five or something other than three? Yeah, good question. I, you know, first of all, why not one is, you know, for SaaS, you always, always, always need to keep an eye on that three to five-year plan so if people have issues with this, I, I typically have a strong opinion that they don't understand the nature of SAS. That SAS is really, really a statistical game of calculating the lifetime value of these customers. Of customers you have brought in that you expect to bring in, and you can't possibly spend the correct amount of money today without understanding what you expect in the future from that. Think about, about it from a runway perspective where I'm constantly seeing visibility out as far as I can. And so to answer your question on five years, well, it's hard to see past that for sure. So three years typically reveals enough about our investments today to support that. So one thing that I really hold R&D accountable for is what is the, what are the product's and customers that we have in our three-year plan to support the spend now, because that's really what we're doing in a SaaS company is we're spending R&D based on that three-year customer, not the current year customer. So that typically reveals enough to not need five years and the extra brain damage of going that far. <laughs> yeah. So once you've set the budget and you know all of leadership has had an input into that budget, What's your view of leaders then turning around and asking for more money? That's a good question. I I would rather them ask than not, assuming for good reasons, which they are. If you have a strong department leader, they're not going to be petty and ask you know, unreasonable requests. As a CFO, I need to champion value creation. Always, always, always. Or I don't have a job, right? So... I need to be on the side of growth. I need to encourage that conversation all the time. So if there's an opportunity, I'll take the time to understand it, sharpen the ideas around it. And if, if it's the right course of action, champion that with the leader to get that investment done. Yeah, I think that's great advice. So if our listeners remember just one thing from the discussion we've had today, what would you want it to be? Yeah, I would say something around running your leadership team 
to know your KPIs, your key business drivers well. Talk about them often. Make sure you're on the same page. What are the drivers, the trends? And then that will really set you up success for a good budget process to make sure that works well and a strong foundation. And lastly, because I always like to know (laughs) a little bit about what drives my guests. Now that we're well into 2021, what's one goal, either personal or professional, that you're hoping to achieve this year? I'll throw out a personal goal. You know, exercise is such a key component to being a successful individual. And I've been swimming a little bit more this year. So I'm going to, I'm going to do my first triathlon. I've always been a biker and runner, but I'm going to throw swimming in the mix and give it a go. Wow. That's awesome. That's a a lofty goal. (laughs) (laughs) I like running. Uh, I don't like swimming. I I like bicycling too, but I would definitely, uh, I would fail on the, on the swimming component of a triathlon. It sounds like we're in the same boat here. So this swimming <laughs> is truly a challenge for me. Clint, thank you so much for joining me today. You bet. Thanks for having me, Megan. It's been fun. Yeah, I've enjoyed speaking with you and hearing your story and advice on how to improve the budgeting process within a SaaS organization. And to all of our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this episode as well. Please tune in next week. And until then, take care of yourselves. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personif. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personif can do for you by visiting personif.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personif. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personif.com. Thanks for listening.